Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of College Basketball Weekly here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas. Wow, Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. Also here over there in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, my good friend, fellow University of Tennessee alumni, Stats by Will, Mr. Will Warren, Stats by Will, .substack.com, best college basketball website going today. Subscribe. It's easy. Just type in your email. That easy, that simple. Become a subscriber today will warren good evening sir how are you uh, i'm doing well you do so much heavy lifting on this every week and i feel like i got to start doing my fair share so i've come up with a couple of uh, game ideas okay as always i've thought of the name first before anything else okay uh, so i've got cold chase so we go out and we investigate a mm-hmm. team where we've like buried them long ago we don't know what's happened to them mm-hmm. but we're trying to figure out why does this team suddenly suck? First, uh, first uh, file we're opening is, of course, Ohio State. Yes. Um, and then uh, I got a different game for you. So there's Tom Make or Thomas, and it's 21 questions, but the questions get harder every time you miss a free throw. Okay. Yeah, that's as far as I've got. But okay. I yeah, like we're cooking in the lab. We're working on it. I like that. I appreciate you thinking about the brand here. We got to think about SEO. We got to think about brand. You've always been a big brand business guy. Uh, yeah, I've always I, said I Will Warren, marketing. big it's business my guy. Thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I've always thought when I think Will Warren. That's what I think. Um, I mean, you have the AI uh, pictures for your Substack that are always great. <laughs> People have started emailing me like, "How do you do your props?" And it's like, you know, just I just type whatever stupid thought comes into my head and sees. I see what happens. Hey. Look, that's writing in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's how the Substack works, by the way. There's not like a ton of intelligent thought, but no, it's just like, I was on a run. I was like, oh, that's a good post idea. And then yeah. four hours later, there it is. 
There you go. Right, that's how writing is, man. You just, I, I don't like when people are like, you sit down and bleed. That's a little too intense. I mean, that's not, I'm yeah, not writing yeah. that kind of stuff. I'm not I'm doing writing. the shining typewriter thing. No, I've never thought that. I always was like, am I doing it wrong? I'm like, I'm not sitting down. But I mean, it's exhausting. Like I'm sitting mm-hmm. down and like, it's a, it's a different kind of exhaustion, but you know, it's, it's good. Uh, Will Warren, what else might be good here? Maybe not good, depending on whose perspective we're looking at. But I thought this would be a fun game here now that we're in early part of February, sir. The biggest college basketball overreaction right now is what for you that you've seen? Maybe it's you personally that you have this overreaction. You're like, I don't I don't know why I feel this way. This is an overreaction or something that you've seen online, a take that you're like that people are really overreacting to this team, this player. What is it for you? Uh, biggest overreaction for me. Okay, number one, biggest overreaction, new Vampire Weekend album coming in April. Huge moment for white people, me included. Secondly, the biggest college basketball overreaction that I have personally felt, mm. St. Mary's to the Sweet 16, baby. They're back, and they are oh, better wow. than ever. They are freaking cooking. I think people forgot about them, um, myself included, because they did have a pretty nasty non-conference run where, yeah. you know, some of the losses are like fine, like no one's complaining about you losing to San Diego State or Xavier, whoever. But, you know, a home loss to Weber State, and that's a tough one to take. Home loss to Missouri State is especially rough. Had a lot of wobbly performances in between, you know, nearly lost on a neutral to UNLV. Offense is still kind of trudging about, but they seem to have figured things out a little bit on that end. But the key for me is their defense. They are disgusting on defense. Uh, up to 13th in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency, fourth and two point percentage allowed. Same standard St. Mary's stuff free. They run shooters off the three point line, but don't allow easy twos in response. Wall off the defensive boards very well. Uh, I've always used like offensive rebound more as a shorthand for converting rebound margin into per 100 possessions. And per 100, St. Mary's sits at a plus 15.6 rebound hmm. margin. They're wrecking teams on the boards. And, you know, they went on the road, beat Gonzaga, you know, needed a little shooting luck from Gonzaga to go poorly. But I thought that game undersold to me, like, why St. Mary's is just better this year. They're deeper. They only go about eight guys deep, but they have, you know, seven, sometimes eight playable guys. Whereas, I mean, Gonzaga, look at their starters minutes in that game, 40, 40, 37, 35, 32. That's the key difference for me, where, whereas like Gonzaga may still make the tournament slip in and keep the streak going. But for me, St. Mary's just looks really dangerous. I think, you know, maybe the Aiden Mahaney leap hasn't quite happened as people had hoped, but he still looked pretty good. Uh, they've got their usual group of guys whose names I don't want to screw up. Mm-hmm. I love Mitchell Saxon down low, though. O- elite offensive rebounder, 13th best in America in offensive rebound percentage. So that's kind of my big overreaction right now is I don't understand why people like why more people aren't paying attention to this. So they're I know they play in a weak conference and we should probably get them some better competition, but well, Hey, know, week, uh, Oregon state and Washington state are on the, on the way next year, sir. <laughs> it's true. But like weak competition or no, I, I think it's impressive, you know, a holding a team to 28 points, which they did against Pacific. Mm. But also, it's Gonzaga you're playing. You know, holding them to 62 in a full-length game is quite impressive. Holding Santa Clara to 49 on the road, that's really impressive. They have consistently gotten better game over game in that regard. And, 
you know, might I be getting fooled by the WCC play a little bit, especially because it's weaker than usual this year? Yeah, plausibly. But mm. I, I still think it's huge that they went on the road to the two best, the, the other two best teams in the conference, Gonzaga and San Francisco, easily handled San Francisco, outplayed Gonzaga for a full 40. I am highly impressed by them. And if it stands as it is, where they're going to be a seven or an eight seed, if I'm the one or the two seed, I really don't want to see them in my bracket. I also, I just wonder, are they a big winner from Gonzaga being down? Because we wondered if a month ago, if Gonzaga was going to turn around or if this was just going to be a down. I think we can just go ahead and say it's a down Gonzaga year. Like this is yeah. just, it's not, it's not coming at this point. Are they a big winner or does it matter uh, to you uh, that Gonzaga's, I mean, maybe is this part of it where like there'd be more attention to them if Gonzaga felt like a top 10, top five team. So, and then St. Mary's is up. I just feel like Gonzaga is the lifeblood of the WCC. And when mm-hmm. they like them being down, I just feel like the whole conference takes a huge hit because no one's paying attention now. No, I would agree with that because nobody is paying attention They're, Yeah, you, you know, St. Mary's is better, but Gonzaga draws in the eyeballs and mm. it's this. So, you know, for instance, Saturday, Gonzaga at Kentucky. If you had St. Mary's at Kentucky, I don't think the ratings would be as high, even though we both agree St. Mary's is probably the better team. It's mm. just a matter of uh, of the brand itself. You know, Gonzaga's a bigger brand. They're going to draw more eyeballs. So it, I think it hurts that this race doesn't feel like it did last year, where, you know, Gonzaga kind of scuffed about a little bit, but by the end of the year, they were a three seed and they were really rolling. And then St. Mary's was a five. Mm. This year, it's, you know, like a seven or an eight seed St. Mary's that really kind of blew it for two months against a Gonzaga team that's squarely on bubble. So I don't, it, it is kind of like a discount version of last year's race, but I feel like that's doing disservice to, to St. Mary's in particular because they have been so good lately. That's fair. Um, Will Warren, let's move to the bubble bump this week. Um, one of our favorites uh, who positive or negatively impacted their uh, status on the bubble the most this week. It's a weird one to do this after they lost a game last week, but I really think Cincinnati did themselves a lot of good in beating Mm. Texas tech on the road. We kind of know what the big 12 is going to be basically every year now, which is a bloodbath top to bottom. And like, I think it goes, it really says a lot that like the projected conference winner right now is Houston with four conference losses. That does not happen. <laughs> ever. Mm. And I would wager it's probably going to be five for them because they've still got to make a lot of road trips. Um, but, you know, some teams are going to lose in the shuffle from top to bottom. And, you know, you have a, by a quick count, nine of the league's 14 teams with either four or five conference losses, one within one game of 500. And I think it's huge when you're on that bubble and you're Cincinnati and you didn't have a great non-conference. They played a really bad schedule, to be honest. And your two marquee games in non-con, you blew. You lost at Xavier. You lost on a neutral to Dayton. Every little bit you can do in Big 12 play to benefit your resume helps. Beating a fellow, not I wouldn't call Texas Tech a bubble team. They're probably in the field, but they're not like a securely in the field team. They're like a seven seed. Hmm. Beating a seven seed on the road is great for you. I think that helps them out a lot. I think that's going to get them over the top a little bit. So, you know, they've got a huge pair of home games coming up with Houston and Iowa State. If you can win one of those, you are really going to benefit massively. 
I just wonder, I mean, when you think about, I, I think Gonzaga too, I feel like part of why they didn't join the Big 12, it's like they looked at what this conference and they're like, yeah, I think, well, <laughs> yeah, the money's nice, but I don't, we don't want to lose this many games. Like, this is going to be a little bit different. I don't want to jump into that bloodbath if we can avoid it. Since he didn't have a choice uh, with uh, where they were headed. <laughs> but I mean, is it a program on the rise? Is this something to monitor? Is it sustainable in the Big 12 based on where the hierarchy is right now in recruit? Like, are you optimistic that since he can build something sustainable here? I, I feel fine about them. I don't think they're going to get back to like the, the peak of the Mick Cronin era under Wes Miller. But being like a top 25-ish team is pretty fine for them. I, I don't think that's outlandish at all. And it, it also goes, you know, we have that to... That should be the yearly expectation, though. Yeah, well, sure. Yeah. But we also have to note, like, they did not have their full roster available on night, on night one. You know, I, I don't want to screw up his name. Aziz Bandago or, you know, mm. something to that extent. And I apologize to <laughs> Cincy fans who will be watching this on YouTube and filling the comments. But... Didn't have him available for That's the first callback. eight games. You didn't have mm-hmm. CJ Frederick available for half of these, and he's been a critical piece. You know, they've really made it through most of the season without ever, at you know, large points of the season, having the lineup they wanted to have on November 6th. And it, it feels like they're starting to find their stride a little bit, especially on defense. They're the 10th best defense in the nation over their last 10 games. Offensively, I um, don't enjoy watching them. But that's okay. I mean, the defense can get you across the finish line in a lot of these. And, you know, again, next two games, Houston and Iowa State, I don't necessarily know that you need an elite offense to beat those two. You can kind of scrap it up, really toilet ball it, and maybe come out of there with a win. Hey, got to do what you got to do, Will Warren. (laughs) Um, Speaking of doing what you got to do here, Kansas State in an electric atmosphere beats Kansas and one of the best atmospheres you'll see in college basketball this year. Some crazy stats out of this. Uh, Kansas State's uh, Jerome Tang is 11 and 0 in overtime at Kansas State, which shout out to him on that impressive stat. But also, I, they're quietly just having a really down year. Uh, we talked about the Big 12 just being a bloodbath. They're one of those teams that have fallen victim uh, to that this year. With that win, though, it's a big win. Kansas was rounding into form. Kansas is a title contender at this very stage, and it's a big win over your rival. Tang, for whatever reason, is unbelievable in overtime, and that was a lot of fun down the stretch. Based on what you saw in the upset win and where their schedule is headed and what they are offensively and defensively, does this feel like a tournament team still, or do they still have a lot of work to do to make it in? I think that if you like started the selection committee process today, I think they'd be maybe not next four out, but in that next, next four out, they'd be close. Mm. Like they'd be on the bubble, but I don't think that it's sustainable really. So Mm. Kansas came specifically number one, was there ever at least this season, an easier like letdown spot than, Hey, Kansas just demolished Houston at home in a highly emotional game. A lot of chatter before, smoked a team that you know came in favored very rare moment in a bill self home game Mm. now you got to go out less than 48 hours later and play your biggest rival yeah um that was such an easy uh, letdown spot but not only that here's some things that went in kansas state's favor kansas shot 20 percent from three uh kansas state got 10 more free throw attempts 
and won the battle of the boards and still had to go to overtime to win this game. Hmm. Now to me, like it's great to have won it obviously, but it's the fact you needed to go to overtime with all of that in your favor, not ideal necessarily. Like, yeah. So, and obviously, you know, it helped that Kansas won the turnover battle so decisively, but I like these guys. I just don't love them. They still feel really thin to me. They're 324th in percentage of minutes from their bench mm. and even lower lower in bench scoring. Like that that works better in one-off settings. So if they make it to March, I don't think that they would be an easy out whatsoever. I mean, you have Tyler Perry, you got Cam Carter and Arthur Kluma. That is a very strong three-piece to have as your backcourt. I can't say that I love their bigs, but they're acceptable. So the, the problem for me, especially when you're in the Big 12, is I look at this roster and I count five guys that I like on a nightly basis. You need a bench. Like, you need people when, you know, not just Kansas, but, like, when you go play at BYU, a, a very high elevation place to play. Not an easy place to go and win. What do you do when your starters get tired? When you go play at Texas or when you play TCU at home this upcoming or next weekend, what are you going to do against a team that loves to run up and down the court for 40 straight minutes uninterrupted? Like that gets, that's where it gets a little tough for me. Now, if they can get to like 19 and 12 and nine and nine in big 12 play, I think I can believe in them getting over the hump for a bubble spot, but it's going to be hard. And just looking right now, they're probably going to be underdogs in six of their final eight. So the overtime juju is amazing. If they can make sure all of their games go to overtime, they're going to the tournament. Um, but it's not like a super sustainable way to get wins, I would say. What's your gut tell you? Do they make it or no? I don't think they make it. I think mm. three and five to close feels about right. So 18 and 13, eight and 10, big 12. And I don't think that's going to be enough. Mm. So, but... I also don't know that it matters because you had a three seed last year and went to the elite eight and you're, you're dead last preseason in the big 12. So like year two NIT bid, that's not bad. Like, I don't feel like people should be too upset over it if that's the case. And honestly, last year being so gravy, if you do get over the hump and you get in the field, you've kind of already won. Like you had your huge year last year. If you win a game, you've exceeded expectations at that point. I like it. Um, Something I don't really like, Will Warren, (laughs) the way Virginia wins basketball games because they love winning basketball games in an outrageously frustrating way for the for the viewer watching at home and for the folks like John Grisham. Maybe uh, do we know is he still putting up with these uh, low scoring affairs uh, courtside for UVA games? I'm not sure commenters of uh the who's fan base please let us know uh, if john grisham is still rimming the the sidelines for uh uva but this from the associated press after their win over miami will warren the cavaliers improved 114 and 2 when allowing 50 points or fewer in the tony bennett era no one state has stayed on brand for over a decade quite to the level that tony bennett has and honestly It's impressive. He holds Miami to the lowest point uh, point total uh, they've ever had since joining the ACC. All that to say, is UVA just is UVA good or are they just unbelievably good at home and unbelievably good and hard to beat when they play one very, very specific type of game? 
I think they have to play their specific type of game to uh, yeah. to get over the hump. But I mean, this Mike Rutherford tweeted this where we're going from while Virginia sucks to while Virginia just won the ACC. Like we mm. we do every like two to three years, this happens where they like put up a disgusting act, you know, like <laughs> losing to Notre Dame by twenty two or losing to Memphis by twenty three. And yes, mm. the Memphis loss is a bad one now. I would like to say, yeah, um, that's your fault. You did that in the pod. Uh, that's I'm going to blame a very specific Twitter account and uh, loyal followers who know who it is. His name is also Will. Mm-hmm. Um, but point being, I, I think one impressive stat, it reminds me of whenever we see those videos of like a high school team dribbling out the clock for six minutes and nobody thinks to foul. That's kind of like the Virginia basketball experience for me a little bit of I feel like I'm watching the end of a high school game that ended 38 to 27 and it's not football No, but at the same time, your defense is so good that it kind of doesn't really matter what you do on offense. Almost like if you, it's the amazing thing about UVA. If you score 60, that's all you got to do. Score 60. You're probably winning, Uh, which is how many other schools can you say that about? Not many who comes to mind. I don't know that you can say that about anybody this year, not even Houston, because Houston plays faster. Yeah. And, you know, Virginia's combo of elite defense with super slow pace is, you know, when it's cooking, it's hard to beat. I mean, is it ever cooking though? Do we want to call that a cooking style? Well, crock potting. It's so, they are a crock potting team. They, they are crock potting. The thing though is like, so I think these, te- these guys are going to get in the tournament, right? We're pretty well in agreement. I on mean, that. they might win the ACC. Like, as yeah, you said well, here. but I think at minimum they're getting in. They've kind of become yeah. a pretty bad resume. The road win at Clemson was massive for them. Mm. Nine or seven wins in a row. Yeah, I, like they're going to be in the tournament. Um, would you like to know what their offense is ranked on Torvik against top 100 opponents? Oh, um, 200. I'll just go to 217th. The defense is 10th. <laughs> <laughs> that's just i love it go virginia man yeah but it's amazing that their offense is as bad as it is because on the season they are number seven in offensive turnover percentage and people forget this part 29th in three-point shooting percentage they're hmm. shooting 37 percent from deep like you know where they had attempts like, per game versus the rest of the college basketball right now 298th so not that high but still like isaac mm. mcneely their go-to shooter 47 percent from three yeah you got jake groves at 50 percent beekman is due for like a random stretch of games where he really comes around mm-hmm. and so it, it's the same thing as ever of like if they hold the opponent under about 55 in any game they're going to have a chance the stat of 50 is good but you know adjusting for like real competition they get to march their seven seed or whatever, and they hold their 10 seed to 55 or less. They're going to win the game. So it's not going to be pretty and you're not going to like it, but you need to prep yourself for Virginia beating. I don't know, like 10 seed Utah state, you know, 52 to 48. Can they make a deep run or no? Not with this offense, but they can win a game. And I think, you know, Given how bad it looked at one point of this year, I think winning a game would be a great step forward. And Who would be the most hilarious team for them to get their one win against in the tournament? Who would be which fan base would react the worst to this Virginia team beating? God, them I wish it? it was Indiana. I wish Indiana was anywhere near the field because that would be amazing. But 
scanning the list of prospective like let, let's so let's say Virginia gets like a seven or an eight. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where they're going to end up. So let's scan the list of like prospective nine and ten seeds. Oh, FAU would be pretty funny. That that would be crushing for a lot of people if it yeah. were FAU. Um, St. John's also stands out as a very funny potential victory there. Mm-hmm. The the worst game by far that I am seeing on this list is Virginia Northwestern. That is a crime if that happens. No, we can't. Maybe you're saying they play the game the right way. Um, (laughs) Darren Ravel would be tweeting through it. We don't want that. Um, Although Chris Collins seems likable. I like him. Yeah, he's he's fine. And uh, honestly, Northwestern has good tweeters. I've noticed. Well, he was nice. I like guys who are just don't take the job. Did you see what, what the reporter, the student reporter who forgot his question? as he was asking and he's like we're so cool like he's just he, i don't know there's just he's a good vibe guy i just i i would be surprised if he if i regret um, ever saying he should have been fired i will i'm going to take the l on that one he he has turned it around there quite well um we're getting south carolina Lamar, but no i'm just kidding um <laughs> will warren michigan state speaking of the big 10 here are they a lost cause is it over is it all over for michigan state this year uh it's not over because I still, against my best wishes, think they're getting in the tournament. Do you really? Like, what what yeah. do they have to do? Is it like losing record when you when you flip the script on Michigan State? What do they have to, to do? So they would have to finish like seventeen and fourteen for me to get wobbly there. So because <laughs> like looking at the rest of the schedule, that uh that road Wisconsin game, I remember talking to our boy Trilly Donovan about it, and I said. Mm we really need Michigan state to lose that game because otherwise it's going to start some nasty discourse when they win eight of nine. Mm-hmm. And like the road Minnesota loss looks bad, but Minnesota's honestly pretty good this year. Like Ben Johnson has done an amazing job with yeah. their roster because it, it is far and away the least talented in the big 10. And he has turned that into something useful, but I'm going to run you through the next five games here. Home Illinois. Obviously mm. a toughie, but not impossible because Illinois has been kind of eh, on the road this year. Road Penn State, road Michigan, home Iowa, home Ohio State. Would it shock you at all if we did this podcast on Thursday, February 22nd and Michigan State has just won their last four games? Yes, because I don't. This team, I just can't. I can't see them winning four straight. But would it shock you if they went three and one? No. And they're, then they're 17 and 10, nine and seven, big 10. At that point, they're in. Like, I yeah. don't know that even if they went 0 and 5, if they went 0 for the rest of the way, then yeah, they're probably out. But they're going to, they're probably going to do just enough to scrape in. But at the same time, I, I think they're a lost cause in the sense that people peg this as a preseason Final Four team. Yeah. And I can't really see that. I mean, what's best case scenario for them? I think they could get to the Sweet 16 again. Okay. I, I think back to back Sweet 16s is about right. And it wouldn't shock me, but you know, you look at the tenure of the seniors, and I know they're now super seniors there, like Hogard and Malik Hall, and it lines up unfortunately quite nicely with the worst prolonged stretch of MSU basketball in the Izzo era. Like they both. If have you would limited... explain why, it, like, what's the biggest reason why it's this bad right now? Well, I just don't think that beyond Tyson Walker, they've got a real go-to guy offensively. Mm. You have Hogard who gets hot and cold, but Hogard's not a shooter. You have Malik Hall, who seemingly has been there for 15 years, but has never developed into a major contributor. 
Like he's he's starting to shoot it a little better this year, but the hope with Malik Hall, by my understanding, was like that he would be the number two guy for a, at least by his senior year, and he has not been. Mm. You have top five freshmen, Xavier Booker, just rotting on the bench, not even a factor when your centers suck. Like none of these centers are good whatsoever. And you don't really have like those role player pieces that you've come to associate with MSU over the years of like, there's always the star, there's always the number two. And then MSU always has like a very good three through seven, I feel. Like guys who, depending on the night, can either be the third or the seventh best player, but you've got options. This team has that and not in a good way. They can all be the third or seventh best player and all of them would have been the seventh best player on the 2018-19 MSU squad. Like, I just don't think they have the – they don't have it offensively for me. Their shot selection is quite bad. And defensively, I've been pretty stunned that they cannot seem to lock down the boards for long stretches of games and at how many open threes these guys give up every game. Like, you know, when we watched that Tennessee-MSU exhibition in October – like, like the takeaway was like, oh, Dalton Connect looks amazing. Oh, Ganey looks really good. And Tennessee won this without Vescovy. And I believe Ziegler didn't play either. Mm. In retrospect, we probably should have been like, oh my God, Tennessee scored 89 without Vescovy and Ziegler. Yeah. Like, that's not good for MSU. <laughs> like, that was the perfect situation for you to win a meaningless home game by 10 plus points and you couldn't. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm aware that like, Okay, you're having you have like good enough defensive work at the rim right now with the centers you got, where it's Sissoko or Cooper or whatever like awful person they're throwing up there. But like one, would it be so horrible to try Malik Call at center just once? Like a small ball group where all five guys can shoot a three. That's gonna help your spacing immensely. Because yeah. right now you have Akins and occasionally you have Holloman out there, but they've proven so like adamantly against putting all of Hogard Walker or sorry, all of Holloman Walker and Akins out there together at once for mm. reasons I cannot understand. Like they're deeply committed to having Hogard play long stretches of games despite poor shooting. So either do Hall at center or figure out whatever your problem is with Xavier Booker and why you can't seem to give him a chance. Because I just refuse to believe that somebody with that level of talent can be worse than the options you've thrown out all season long. It just speaks of stubbornness to me. And, and you know, just not just that freshman, but like, you know, you've given Cohen Carr some chances, but Cohen Carr played four minutes against Minnesota, despite like he's had a good impact at times. But the, the point being like the freshmen they have, there's potential. You got to take a shot. And I don't feel like Izzo's interested in taking the shot. It's like he's going down with his ideals in the ship. And is that going to be enough to make the tournament? Yeah. Is that going to be enough to get you back to what MSU should be, like a yearly, you know, Final Four threat? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Um, probably yes. Uh, Will Warren, the Vols are back. Number one seed from Joe Lenardi today, following their twenty-point win over LSU uh, last Crazy night. Crazy how they got a one seed after the season ended for people who only watch football. Hold on, we're on the same side here. Well, not not the not certain people. Look, man, it's a long season, and it, I think that's a part of it. I think that's what's hard for fans to like 
something I've noticed, especially baseball too. No one's like the baseball just it's a long season and just sure. like a bad series for Tennessee baseball. It's like the end of the world for a lot of fans. Like it's, it's just one weekend. It's There's so many games. Too. It's like they're yeah. weighted coin flips. Yeah. So basketball, it's just but football. Every game is so important. Like the season, like mm-hmm. it makes or breaks the season. I just think it's hard to get out of that mode. Uh, when you switch over to basketball, where you're like, how can we go down here? How do we lose to Mississippi State, this, that, and the other? And uh, I just think it's a hard thing to for fans to make that jump from football season to basketball season and how to, how to uh, approach it and think about it. But it doesn't matter because you know what matters? <laughs> Tennessee is uh, projected to be a one seed if they stay the course here the rest of the way, Will Warren. Um, so a two-parter here. What did you see new from Tennessee um, following their two big wins over Kentucky over the weekend and then uh, over LSU handedly uh, this week. And then how important is it that Tennessee does get a one seed? Does that drastically change your final four proje- projections for them? And where, like, how does that affect things for Tennessee? Well, answering the first question, the, um, the main change I've seen really is that Connect's getting help. You know, hmm. the South Carolina loss largely happened because Dalton Connect took 24 shots that game. The rest of the team combined took 34. Yeah. You know, that's just, you love it when he scores it, all the points, but it's not a sustainable strategy for anything except a very specific type of game. Now, you know, Kentucky, you had the huge games from Ziggler and James. And I thought, you know, Adu played quite well. Vescovy did his part. But then against LSU, like, this is my thing. Connect did well, you know, pulled them out of a like kind of rough stretch at the tail end. But Ziegler was largely the star of the night for most of that. Ganey was tremendous off the bench. Adu did his part. Triple J had eight. You know, Meshack even had a couple of nice buckets on offense. The The help seems to be growing and it's diversifying Tennessee's attack in a nice way. So, you know, you hate to just go with all the recency bias, but like, Tennessee's two best games of the season offensively in terms of efficiency were the last two. 1.39 points per possession against UK, 1.31 against LSU. That's not the exact case, you know, if you adjust for opponent, but the the point is more like Tennessee doesn't turn the ball over anymore. Mm-hmm. 11% or lower turnover rate in five straight games, which is amazing. Like that's peak Frank Kaminsky level as yeah. context. You know, doing quite well on the boards outside of this past week, regularly getting to the foul line, and it's not just connect. Like Ziegler's picked up his foul rate a good bit. Vescovy's been able to get fouled. Awaka's a foul machine on both ends of the court. Um, but no, I, I like the way they're playing right now. I don't really take too much from some of the defensive miscues over the past few games. Like mm. Fandy got a little hot from three. Same with like Kentucky had Dillingham go insane and he, it was an amazing game to watch, but without that Dillingham explosion and just replaced with an average game of him, Tennessee might've won that by 20 and Mm. LSU was a blowout disguised by them hitting four threes in a row late to cut it to seven or whatever it was. So I, I just like the way this team is looking, man. They're, they're trending in a positive direction. The offense is honestly the best it's looked since the grant and Admiral year. But people forget about that team. Tennessee did not have a very good defense. Like they finished that year, you know, 35th, 40th, thereabouts in defensive efficiency. But the key was they they did a good job stopping opponents down low, 
They didn't force many turnovers. They did not protect the boards well at all, and they had some foul issues. This team still got the foul issues, but much better at forcing turnovers, much better on the boards. And I think critically, it just feels like the the difficulty of jump shot this team forces is significantly higher than the difficulty of jump shot that Grant and Admiral team forced. And this group is deeper, too. Yeah, I I love that they just it's cool to see teams just evolve over the course of a year, right? Like sometimes teams can evolve, sometimes teams just can't. You're like, there's just a limitation. There's a ceiling here, and they reach it. We're in mid-February and we're learning new things about this team in terms of where their ceiling can be. Like Dalton well, Connect. Well, like Saturday, yeah. he you know, Barnes unearthed Cam Carter out of yeah. the recycle bin out of nowhere, and it was fine. He did good things. Mm-hmm. Same with LSU game. I mean, you know, they're, they're finding like new toys and new tweaks, like seemingly every time out, which is cool. And I the only did not say that about is Ziegler playing entire second halves in important games like that. I think, look, I mean, you, you look at the numbers. I think it's Ziegler, Vescovy and Josiah. Uh, that three man group is just killing it um, all year long. But. I just I don't want Ziegler to run out of gas uh, come tournament time and just the minutes that he's playing. I understand he's just crazy in shape and and just awesome for Tennessee. But like the minutes like he played that entire second half over the weekend. Yeah. And you're I, I, I don't know. I worry about stuff like that because, I mean, you're going to need him like <laughs> you're especially when the games are reach and things like that. I just I don't know. I, I wonder what the what that means for DeLeon, um with those minutes. But. I just I think that's something that I've just jotted down. I'm like, I think that would be something I would like to see maybe evolve a little bit more uh, as we get deeper and deeper into conference play and closer and closer to March Madness is just not just overburdening Zakai um, over this stretch run because the minutes, the minutes are high and they're asking a lot out of him and he's delivering. Totally with you. And I, I do think it's a tweak they've been doing lately is I've noticed more gainy minutes as point. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's and, definitely and settled been, in Ganey's, yeah, Ganey has uh, figured things out again mm. like and not just uh, the thing with me is like the the offense coming around is obviously great Tennessee needed that but from the start of the season you notice like he never took a possession off defensively like his intensity mm. level is crazy high and I you have to imagine like probably has something to do with his dad being on the sidelines watching his every move Mm-hmm. You know, just being like, you know, if you we know if you slack on a possession, you're not going back in for a while, and you have to hear that your dad's not mad, just disappointed. Brutal combo for any uh, young person. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing his confidence come back on that and on offense, and paired with the excellent defense he's been playing as of late, like he no longer feels small to me. He's still thin, but like he doesn't get caught in bad situations. He doesn't get back down in the post. He holds up well on the perimeter. He gets through screens. Like his effort level is never questionable on that end, which I like. So I, I think that he's he's held up quite nicely. He's going to be a key part. And and it's tough for Dillion and even for Carr a little bit because the minutes are so settled on this team. Mm-hmm. Like you can maybe cut Zakai's back a hair, but at the same time, you wanna you kind of want Vescovi to keep his minutes high because he seems to be at his best the longer a game goes on. Um, well, maybe he moves Vescovy up and you give Ganey more minutes. Maybe that's yeah. it. Or, yeah, I mean, something where, you know, I think Sakai's range is probably best at about 32. 
Yeah. 32 feels about like 36 plus you're pushing it a little bit, but 32 mm-hmm. is good for him. And then, yeah, I, but it's just the, the good thing about having your guys largely decided is it's mid February and we don't have rotation questions. The bad thing is it's hard for new guys to break in. So, yeah. but it's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. And what, you know, thinking to March, um, I would just say like a one seed is better in general. Like one seeds win more games than two seeds statistically by a significant margin. Hmm. And it's not just, you know, that the teams themselves are better. It's more that, you know, you don't, you get to play a 16 seed instead of a 15, you get to play an eight or a nine instead of like a frisky seven or a 10. It's marginal, but it's better. And, you know, if you're on that top half and, Say, for example, you get lucky, you draw a 12 seed. That's really good. Mm. You could be facing a 12 for the right to go to the Elite Eight, whereas on the bottom half, you know, you're a good two seed, you're probably going to play a three. You know, at best, you might get like a six or something. It's just, it's a little, not by much, but easier path going forward if you're a one versus being a two. So I do think you need to be a one. The way you can do that is by getting 15 SEC wins, I think, gets you there. Mm. But it, it's obviously no guarantee. Going to be a tight battle all the way to the finish with that. And you know, I, I think, you know, just looking through the context of it all, you've got one one seed fully settled, right? I think Purdue's a lock. I, I don't think that's yeah. a question. Purdue's a lock. UConn is awful close to being one. And, you know, if Houston... If Houston wins the Big 12, they're going to be one seed. That's that's not a foregone conclusion, but they're the leader in the conference right now. Been the best team for most of the year. But after that, it is like a real, you know, who's going to take it deal. It Could it be Tennessee? Could it be Arizona? Could it be UNC still? Could it be Kansas? I mean, I don't even want to count out like Iowa State or Marquette or even Auburn. There's a lot of teams that are going to be fighting for that last spot and Tennessee's going to have to stand out from the crowd to get it, but the way they're playing right now, you feel at least somewhat confident that they can do that, right? Yeah. I I don't think I've ever been as confident as I am in uh, a Tennessee basketball team in the Barnes era as I am about this one right now. I just no, think... I, I feel the same way. Where and and again in eighteen nineteen, the defense was questionable, and that team kind of didn't play its best basketball down the stretch. I didn't feel yeah. They, they definitely wore down a bit. And I think I, the thing I love most, the defense is going to carry. You don't worry about the defense. But the fact that I think they are going to be able to win with Connect having to carry the load one uh, tournament game where he's just going to have to do it all. And they can win that way. And they can win where Josiah has a 28-point game. Vescovy has a big shooting game. Sakai has to do a whole heck of a lot. And they spread the ball around everybody. It's a lot of diversity. Tobey Awaka could have a big impact depending on a matchup. Jonas Adu could have a big time game depending on the matchup. They're just versatile and uh, versatile in a way where I just think they're going to be such a problem for anybody with, if they can stay healthy like this, just because they're kind of like a Swiss army knife in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. with they can, the, the amount of ways that they can beat teams is uh, the, the biggest we've seen, uh, I think, in the Barnes era. I, I agree. It's just they've got a. I always think of like how many paths can you realistically take to a win, mm-hmm. and it feels like Tennessee's are quite large, especially compared to a lot of schools this year. I would agree. 
Uh, final one here in our Bart Torbett Ken Palm Don't Lie segment here, Will Warren. The Utah Utes. Do the numbers tell the story on what's happened to Utah this year? Yes and no, because they've they've slumped a bit lately, but it's been due to injuries. Like they've been missing Raleigh Worcester, Davon Smith, you know, Lawson Lovering, their big, has missed a few. But I think it tells the truth in that this is a frisky team. Maybe not one that's going to go deep in March, but they're going to make the field, I feel, you know, probably seven, eight seeds, somewhere in there. And we've seen them put together some good performances this year. I, they need another signature victory because, like, their best one right now is home against BYU or road against St. Mary's. But th- it's a very good team, terrific defensively, especially down in the post. They're holding opponents against a pretty tough schedule to the 43rd lowest two-point percentage and not phallic. They're 13th in defensive free throw rate. That's hard. That's a hard combo to pull off because usually teams that block shots very well also commit a lot of fouls. They don't do that. They control the boards quite well, got some good shooters on this roster. And, and what makes them uniquely tough to deal with for me, they start two seven-footers mm. when they're at full health. They got Brandon Carlson, who's their best player, terrific uh, seven-footer who plays like a stretch four. Wouldn't count him out for a future pro career somewhere. I mean, he's not crazy athletic, but he's a good shooter and quite nice everywhere. And then you have Lovering at center, an excellent rebounder who's hard to stop down low because he's seven foot one. You know, it, it goes against type, but you've got these two seven footers you're starting. Both can shoot a three. Uh, one of them is a very good shooter from deep. That's what makes them such a hard cover. And it's going to be so dependent on matchup come March, but I look at them and I'm like, yeah, I could see you making the sweet 16. If you get hot, it's not unrealistic. I, are they a program? Like they fine. Are they going to be okay? Like in the new big 12, like do they have a place where they can eventually yeah. like make a run? Do you see anything like that? Them ever winning the big 12? They, it would have to be a, lot of factors going in their favor like you know nailed all your transfers you got good Mm. development guys you're old you probably get a little lucky that would be what it would take but the idea of them just like consistently competing in in the mid-pack and you know making the tournament every other year or something not unrealistic like i like craig smith a lot i've liked Mm. him for a long time i loved him at utah state and seeing what he's doing here in this third year i'm very impressed by that guy continues to find something new to work on every year best offense i think he's had in his career and so i don't know i i I don't love being in the the tank for certain teams but i do feel like i kind of am for utah this year i really like what they've got going on i i'm very curious what it looks like for them because obviously in football they'll be just fine but i am curious how they match up and i mean obviously byu uh, a little ahead of them. And I wonder how that rivalry affects things in the Big 12 with the two of them um, joining forces and uh, what that looks like. Because Utah, I mean, you obviously had the Andrew Bogut era and you can sometimes find those guys. Uh, those... Oh, people forget about the, the deal on right era. The deal on right era. Hawks that legend. Was so good. Yeah. So you just need and, something like and that. Kuzma and Pirtle. Yeah, they have had some sneak. So you just need like two of those guys at the same time. And yeah. then hitting the transfer uh, portal the right way. And then you might have a special season where you're uh, you're near the top of the Big 12. Like I can't, the, well, like kind of what Kansas State was last year, right? Yeah. 
you just you need to really nail like three transfers. Yeah. And if you do that and they're all like starter level guys. How many coaches tell <laughs> tell folks we just got to hit these three? We just got to hit these three. I mean, Tennessee, though, they had the I mean, can we say they had the biggest transfer hit of anybody this cycle? <laughs> yeah, I would say it's easily the case. So, yeah, right. Like, I mean, step. and that just completely changes how you be, like where the program can go like it that could be the difference number in a title two. hmm who would be number two that's what i was wondering i'm like I, you would know better than i i i i don't feel like it maybe it's osabor at utah state hmm. like he's been really good that would be about it because i'm not sure okay hunter dickinson i guess would be number two that's yeah okay. he but annoys me but he is he's good. definitely not above dalton no, not above Dalton, but he is very good, obviously. And that's been a high-impact guy who's, you know, helped Kansas change what they do. I love it. Uh, Will Warren, let's wrap up with our stat of the week for you. What do you have for us uh, this week? This is one that caught me by surprise. So recording this Thursday, February 8th, four teams, four, have mm. six or more Quadrant One wins. Three are pretty easy to guess, UConn, Purdue, Houston. Do you know who number Hold on, four? say that one more time. Sorry. Hold on, say that one more time. Four teams. There's four who have six or more quadrant one wins. Three of them are pretty easy to guess. It's UConn, Purdue, and Houston. Who is the fourth? Hmm. Give me a second. Um, not North Carolina. No, they've got five. Okay. Um... Is it Tennessee? It's not Tennessee. Tennessee mm. has four. Wisconsin? It is Wisconsin. There we go. Six and five against quad mm. one. And perhaps more notably, one of three teams with 10 or more quadrant one and two wins. Wisconsin doing this. I like, I don't think they deserve like a share. Like we break off a piece of the title, but if we end up with a one seed and Tennessee wins a title, Wisconsin having a great year in the year that we go up to Wisconsin and beat yes. them is like they deserve <laughs> to shake their hand for that. Yeah. Thanks guys. <laughs> Thank you for your you, you service. Helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean like people, you know, they've had a rough stretch recently. They've lost three in a row, but I think people are starting to sell them a little short for the really good resume they've built up. Like, you know, home loss to Tennessee early road loss to Providence early. People probably didn't think much of them, but mm. I mean, I'm going to rattle off their good wins for, you know, Virginia on a neutral SMU on a neutral SMU has been very good. Marquette at home, Michigan state on the road, Ohio state on the road, Minnesota away, Michigan state at home for the sweep. Mm. Like they have just a quick count here. Yeah. Nine wins over top 50 teams in Ken Palm. They're not, they're not so bad, man. I mean, they they faced a crazy hard schedule, second toughest in America behind Purdue, and getting 16 wins against that is pretty impressive. So that that's a team where in the past I've been pretty quick to you know poo poo Wisconsin because I don't love their style of play, but this year they have the offense to back it up. So I'm excited to see what those guys do in March. I love it. What can the good folks check out from you over at StatsByWill.substack.com this week, sir? Uh, a lot of good stuff. So we did some NCAA tournament site analysis. 
attempting to link teams to where they'll be going here in about six weeks. Um, Tennessee, pretty even split between Charlotte and Memphis. I'd lean Charlotte for them. Mm. But, like, you know Purdue's going to Indianapolis. You know Kansas is going to go to Omaha. You know that UConn is going to go to Brooklyn. So you got those, but then we're also looking at, you know, where does Arizona end up, for example? Mm. Does Charlotte take North Carolina? Probably, but it's not a guarantee. What do you do with Marquette, who's sort of in between three sites at once? So a lot of good stuff in that piece. And then, as always, the watch lists are up, Tennessee previews, and then hopefully some more. Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, doing a good 2015 thing here and pivoting to video, I think, would be good for me. Mm. Um, we'll all lose jobs for it. But um, <laughs> pivoting to video uh, mm-hmm. and uh, doing some more of the little cut-ups I do, like Dalton Connect's little pick-and-roll mastery or you know, maybe some stuff on team I've got my eye on here, High Point. High point mm. in the Big South. Really lovely offense they run. So look out for more of that on the Twitter. Well, that'd be awesome. I'm I'm here for it. Like a combination, not a pivot, just a combo. Sets, uh, but I think it'd be good if I replaced the commentary and set it to like the Excel bangers playlist where it's all instrumental music. Uh-huh. So just like music to edit V lookups to. I think yeah. that would be good to replace the commentary with. Unless yeah, it's here. a commentator I like. I'm here for it. <laughs> go subscribe stats by will dot substack.com type your email become a subscriber today it's uh it's worth it and mm-hmm. especially especially this time of year with college basketball conference season in full force so stay up to date with the best college basketball writer going today that's will dot substack.com will warren always a pleasure and i will talk to you next week thanks for having me on All right, hello. Welcome back to Chase Thomas Podcast. Taping this late on a Thursday night where I'm still the A for Mitch and Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. You know what that means. Late on a Thursday. Preds Power Hour with my good friend on the four-check zone, Brian Bastin. Brian, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing all right. Just uh, fresh off watching Tennessee take it wire to wire against LSU. Get a little scare there in the middle, but I, I mean, Tennessee is a top top five team i i mean i had my doubts at the beginning of the year but they're so good and it's nice to have that again it's i feel like i'm as excited as i was during the during the bruce years so it's cool to to kind of dip the toe back into college basketball it's just i'm just so used to tennessee athletics just killing me inside so it's it's nice to have it go the other way buy in the best team in your lifetime i would say this is the most talented tennessee basketball team um in both of our lifetimes here and uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be a fun march speaking of fun tennessee basketball on the opposite end of the spectrum it could go the other way on another portion of the state um i honestly in the central and west part of the state with how both are trending over the last month or so um really for one of these programs like the one that jeff might be a fan of uh when he's not a miami red hawk uh of goodness everywhere jeff middleton vanderbilt how are you sir (laughs) <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm, you know what? I'm so proud of of our women's basketball team because mm. they've been they've been good this year. Yeah, uh, what we were at Buffalo Wild Wings, me and my buddies, and they had on the the LSU Vanderbilt women's basketball t- game on, and and uh, needless to say, I was uh, I was a little shocked at how good they were doing, considering the rest of Vanderbilt athletics. Maybe but, he's maybe he's slowly starting to be become ready to be a Tennessee fan. Start t- starting I off. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talking about the women's basketball team. I mean, that's, that, that was a, that's a I'm sitting in the Pat Summit book. Years. There's a really good Pat I have Summit a, book. My mom, I, I got my, my mom a Pat Summit book for her birthday. It's she went to She went to Tennessee basketball camp um, when, she was, uh, when she was a teenager, I believe. Um, and so, uh, Pat Summit was, was the coach there. And so, um, my mom loved basketball. She loved big, women's basketball here, and, here, you ready? You yeah, ready, yeah, yeah. Jeff? Yeah, Look, yeah. Na- women's national Knoxville Sentinel seventh heaven right here for the good folks on YouTube. Um, you see right here, this is classic vintage Knoxville Sentinel. Uh, maybe Vandy, the, the lady Commodores can get somewhere in that regard. Um, you never know. Hey, just wait until baseball steps. season, baby. Oh, waiting until baseball season. Did Tennessee baseball also come out ahead of Vanderbilt in the preseason baseball polls? Isn't that like y'all's thing? Isn't that the preseason one thing that y'all used to have over us? Baseball it? polls are dumb. Oh, okay. It's too bad y'all haven't won a national championship. Hey, we're just everything school HQ. We're all you guys talk play. a lot. You guys talk a lot for not it's all about making having that won cash. a baseball national championship. It's all about making that cash. It's a business <laughs> now. No, it's all about being awesome at everything. And that's what we are here at Everything School HQ. But we're going to talk some Nashville Predators on this edition of the program. All-Star break. Um, Wrapping up here, Preds are back uh, Saturday. Um, So they'll be back. Yes. So they'll be back on Saturday. Excited to see them back. Um, But... Now that we're at the All-Star break, um, after going through our predictions last week, this week we thought, um, you know, hey, where are we at right now? And, I mean, we I've joked about this over the last couple of pods here. I thought before the year, and you do knew significantly more than me, and I, I felt kind of nervous about this, where I was like, I just, they're older. The Preds haven't completely blown this thing up. I just feel like this reminds me of a team that's just going to hang around unless they continue blowing this thing up. They're just going to hang around. And if you like Andrew Burnett and you kind of like the new coaching infusion and um, the new play style, there's still some good top end talent. I'm like, I just don't think this team bottoms out like an Anaheim Ducks or uh, a Montreal Canadians or what have you over the last couple years. I just, I didn't, or the Columbus Blue Jackets. It just, it just, I didn't see some real implosion here. Like I thought as the novice that I am, that this just struck me as another kind of hang around team. And right now they're hanging around right there in the playoff picture. So um, Brian, starting with you, what are your thoughts right now on the Preds here at the uh, tail end of the 2024 all-star break? And uh, 
your gut feeling on if this is going to end up being a playoff team in 2024? Well, I mean, you you were you were right. We'll give you on that. Like they they're in the hunt for this, but and you know, there's a good side and a bad side of this. So the good side is right now they currently sit at um, fifth in the central. That puts them in. They're just outside of the last wild card spot. They have the, uh, both them and St. Louis have 54 points, but St. Louis has two games in hand, so they've got the better point percentage. Um, so Nashville's in it, you know, um, ahead of them is the LA Kings who they just lost to before the break uh, and they're only ahead by two points. So you look at that, you know, Nashville is within striking distance of like, you know, one win could put them back tied for the first wildcard spot. Mm. Here's the problem. The teams below them in the West Calgary, 53 points, one point behind the Kraken figured some things out. Thank God. Uh, Cause that was one of my predictions. Both of my predictions were really bad as far as like my teams they're going to break out. Seattle, but they're at 52 points um, with a game in hand. Arizona, 49 points. Uh, Minnesota, 49 points. So Nashville's within two points of the first wildcard spot, but there are all but three of the teams in the Western Conference, like in the wildcard hunt, are within five points of them. And almost every single one of them has um, less games played than Nashville. So they've got a little bit of an upper hand. So you know, all it takes is, you know, let's, you know, Minnesota winning like four games in a row and Nashville dropping a couple. All of a sudden, they could be three points, you know, three places out of out of the wild card. It's going to be tough. I mean, I think Calgary is really kind of I'm still curious to see how this goes. It feels like Nashville and Calgary are trying to do a lot of the same things in completely different ways. And it parts of it work, parts of it not. It's just it's really interesting to watch. But I mean, like the Kraken, they're going to get better. Arizona we'll see and then you know the wild it's kind of impossible to tell you know they've just they've had a lot going on they should probably have wallstead up there you know honestly but um yeah it's it's gonna be hard because if you look at the top of the central so you know, in nashville and st louis with 54 points winnipeg they lost five they've just lost five straight tonight and they have 65 points so they're what 11 points ahead colorado they had a, a pretty bad loss uh 68 points dallas 68 so i mean like it's you know five points between you know them and the being the eighth best team in the west but there's what uh 14 points between them and the top team in the west so nashville has to be the best of the mediocre teams and consistently and it's been a little bit rough because they went on a bit of a heater but their last 10 they're four five and one um they're 13, 13 and 0 at home, which is they're just average great. everywhere. Like they're just consistent in all this, uh, in all of this, right? Yeah. And you know, it's there's we start to think that, you know, UC Soros is starting to kind of get back onto his career pace and he still continued to struggle. Again, I'll take a this, you know, if this is what UC Soros struggling looks like, like not bad. You know, it could be much, much worse. Uh Lankinen's playing very well. So, you know, there's always that. But it's just going to depend. I mean, is is we've seen hot starts from Philip Forsberg before, and unfortunately, Phil Brewery hasn't really been a thing for several years now. Um, but you know, can he maintain a streak? You know, he had that nice showing at the All Star game, but you know, he's gonna they're gonna need him. They're gonna need Ryan O'Reilly. They're gonna f- have to find secondary scoring somewhere. I don't know where, but they're gonna have to do it. Um, and, you know, I think they're a team that when you have their best players on the ice, when you've got Ryan O'Reilly, Forsberg, Yossi, you know, like Nyquist and whoever else, like those guys, Predators can compete with a lot of teams in the NHL. But, you know, you can only so many times you can send out, you know, 
a a line with you know like the tommy novak line they're great but you know they're also a young they're young players and you can just tell that there's things that they can't fully you're not going to ask them to go in there and you know on a defensive zone face off with like two minutes left and you're not putting them in there and that's not their fault but it's just you know you have to have that secondary scoring somehow because the scoring drops off so much after that first line i mean you know you get i think michael mccarran you know he's I think he's close to it. Him and Lozano are like close to like career highs and goals this season, which is great. Again, all all shout outs to Jeremy Lozano. Um, but the thing that I that I see a lot of people getting, you know, upset on Twitter. It's not like you know usually, but people are disappointed or they're like, oh, "This is stupid. We shouldn't have done." This. I'll take this team. I'll take the way this team is performing. They're they're bumpy. You know, the streaks, the everything like that, because we look at past seasons when they would go on like a big winning streak or they would go on a really great run to make the playoffs and stuff. Like you go look at their shooting percentage that time and they're shooting 19, 20% in those, or they're getting, you know, they're getting 96% save percentage from UC Soros. Like those are things that are great and you want to have that, but that's not necessarily repeatable. And those, you know, their wins were not based off of, you know, them putting in, a lot of dangerous, you know, chances and things like that to get those goals. It was just they got a lot of, you know, they had a high shooting percentage that's going to, you know, regress to the mean, and it always does. This season, they're doing, especially offensively for the most part, they're doing everything right. The process is is getting better every, you know, every week throughout this season. Like, they are a team that is, I've never seen a Nashville team that attacks the net like this. You know, and it's, you can talk about analytics and talk about high danger and expected goals, but like, they're just getting shots to net. They're not wasting a ton of shots from the point, you know, like Yossi. I mean, I I've, I've said this last year, if you look at his, you know, like his shot charts and you look at his percentages from like when he's shooting from, you know, beyond the the dots and the circles, you know, it's, he's still pretty good for like a defenseman of his caliber, but when he goes, you know, between the circles or he's, you know, in that last hundred feet or uh, 50 feet, he's, dangerous almost damn near a sniper just because he he's such a good skater and he's such a good you know puck handler that he creates open spaces for him because no one's going to expect him to come in there and drive it and you know shoot it from 20 feet away and he's very good and we're seeing a lot of that you know the the movement behind the net the the constant cycling and freeing guys off i mean philip forsberg and his moves off the off the half wall this season have been insane uh so i mean like it just seems like a hey if you plugged in you could get three, you know, middle six players, pretty good middle six players from just, you know, NHL teams and bring them in there and put them at that level. Like Nashville could be a very, very dangerous team. Uh, this, I think just it's a, there's a talent gap. And so, you know, I would rather watch them spend the next two seasons getting this offense, this system put in and the way it needs to be than watching them overachieve, you know, win a bunch of games to make the playoffs and then just get chased out again. Like I want to make like whatever they're doing, whatever the outcome is, if they're doing it the right way, it's fine. And you know what Preds fans, I'm going to say this, we can handle a season or so of UC Saros being average. It's okay. It's perfectly fine. But are you worried about like not being able to, because I mean, eventually you're going to have to trade UC Saros, right? Like the, the time will come that you have to, and then what if the, like, do you worry about trading him for, um less than ideal value because of the new kind of normal for him 
I don't think that they trade him this season. I think there's a lot of speculation and I could understand why, but I don't think it's going to happen this season because he's got this season and next season left on his contract at $5 million, which is an absolute steal. And I think Nashville would be better off to keep Soros because like you don't want Askarov full-time in the NHL yet. Like he can do it. Mm. There's no talent, but like, you know, let him cook, like really let him cook. I think that that's, that it's great. And you don't want to rush these guys out. I mean, Soros was in Milwaukee for what, quite a while you know he was bound he was the guy that was bouncing back and forth between between leagues you know for a long time um yeah so he was with what three seasons in the ahl before he was full-time and with nashville and so how yeah, long has Askarov been in the ahl now uh this is year two correct is this only yeah. two okay yeah and so like he we could use that year and then because he'll be on the last year of his free agent contract like another team is going like that's when you do it because you're going to say hey we're going to, you can, you know, get this guy at the trade deadline. Let's see what you have, but you know, this is your chance to then have his rights or, you know, or to, to try and get an extension before other teams can, can get him. So, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be the draw. I don't think you sign him. You, you trade him this season. Cause I don't know what pieces are out there other than, you know, a lot of picks and prospects, you know, what trade out there would, would make sense for both teams and would really truly benefit Nashville with what they're doing. And I don't see a ton. Is there a buy move for you, Jeff? Like, are you, can you, I guess this is a two-parter. Is there a buy move before the deadline next month that makes sense to you, you for the Preds? And then two, do you believe that they're going to be able to pull off this skinny rebuild, which is clear what they're, they're now angling for? Well, I don't know. I don't know if there's a buy move out there that I would want to see them make. Um, just because I think that where they're at now is kind of where everyone expected them to be and, and where the roster deserves to be. I don't think that there's like anything that they could do to move for a guy that could drastically change the outcome of, of where they sit. They're not going to, you know, acquiring one guy is not going to put them in the top three of the central division. I think that that's, you know, just talent wise relative to the other teams that are up there. Um, I will say if there was going to be a UC Soros trade, I would, I would love to see a uh, UC Soros for Alex Holtz and Seamus Casey and a first round or something like that. Um, that would be one that I don't, that I'm okay with, but uh, yeah, I, I think that as of right now, there's not a, um, there's not a move that I think that they could make in terms of acquiring a player for the roster now that they could slot into the top six and and have a lot of people be okay with it. Because I think now people have started to accept the whole, you know, we're, we're in this spot where we're kind of in the middle and we're, uh, you know, we're not going to be challenging for any cups right now. But the process is taking place right now. What you're seeing right now is a roster that is filled with young players that are taking advice or, you know, learning by example from guys that we've brought in on cheaper deals towards the end of their career who can still be effective players. And I think that's how you start. That's exactly how you want to start. A, a retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think from that perspective, I think that they can pull it off. Um, I think 
honestly, the next big step as it is for any team in this scenario um, is just how much you trust your scouting staff and your, and the people that are making your draft choices, because right now, and it goes for, I think Calgary too, more so than more so them than, than the Preds. Um, I think that they are at a spot now where they're, they're not going to be picking, you know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, unless they get lucky, which, you know, that'd be wonderful for anybody in the, in the flames organization or anybody in the Preds organization, no matter what you're talking about. Um, just referring to the flames because they're very alike in the Preds in they're just, it feels like they're just a season behind, you know, they gave away Elias Lindholm and, and, they're still competing right now. I mean, they just beat the Bruins and they just beat the Devils tonight. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, it's now one, how can you maximize returns for your pending UFAs or guys that, you know, probably aren't going to come back um, or guys that I guess are expendable and, and, and despite how, uh, not barbaric that term is, but more like uh, uh, just kind of mm-hmm. without feelings that term is. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, you saw in the Lindholm trade, you got a guy in Kuzmenko who scored 39 goals. Um, wow, he did. His rookie year. Yeah, his rookie year um, has kind of fallen out of favor with Rick Tockett, needed a place to uh, to kind of revamp his career, kind of like Yegor Sharangovich, to be honest, who's been lights out. Um, and, but you also saw uh, Hunter Brustevich, I believe is how you say his last name, who is the third leading scorer in the OHL right now, and he's a defenseman. Uh, and then you get a first round pick, and then you get a conditional fourth and stuff like that. Like that's what you you're you're kind of looking for when you're trading when you're looking at trading the way those guys. And for the Preds, I think as much as you want to get those Kuzmenko's or 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 Brustevich's or like guys that you know can really provide value in your prospect pool and, and then, you know, your roster, eventually you want to be able to trust your scouting staff enough to know that your first round picks and your second round picks, and even your later round picks are going to be used to, uh, to, to kind of maximize that trade as much as you can, as best as possible. Um, So I think as of right now, considering the roster construction, I think they've done a good job with, with how they're retooling. Um, but the next step is really taking advantage of these upcoming draft classes and, and where you're positioned in the draft. Cause it's not going to be in the top five. So you have to really, really get some good value picks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the thing is with you trade UC Soros. Let's say you trade him this year at the trade deadline that leaves you with Kevin Lankinen, who is not a long-term solution. He's been great, but he's not a long-term solution. You need, that means that Askarov will, will have to be in Nashville, you know, at least, part-time as the backup you know starting next year if not starting and then below that so you've got Grossnick, you've got Lankinen who are not long-term options these guys are basically one two-year deals and then they've got um they've got three goaltenders they have the rights to and I think of the of the three I think Ethan Hader out of, of UConn you know I think he's destined to to head to Milwaukee next season and probably do a pretty decent job but that's it I mean that's Constantine Volkov is in there, and then uh, Gustav Gringles, which I don't even know if he was signed as like a Predators player, but uh, I think he was an AHL-only contract. But so like the goalie pipeline is thin, which, you know, oh God, we have, you know, there's UC Saros and Yaroslav Askarov in, in the goalie, you know, pipeline for Nashville. Like, yeah, you're really struggling. But I mean, I, was gonna say, like, I don't think anybody is going to like 
I don't think goalie pipelines, if that was the argument, I don't think goalie pipelines are something that's like super deep all the time. Like, I don't think you're going to go out and find like the no. flames have Jacob Markstrom and Dustin Wolf. And that's kind of like, and then the wild have Gustafson and, and Wallstead. Like those are, those are like probably the top three goalie yeah. pools in the entire NHL. And those are just two guys. Like, it's not like, no, no goalie pool, no goalie prospect pool is like overflowing with talent. Like I think so, that's just not something that exists. But, but that's a lot to put on Askarov like that to be yeah. like, hey, guess what? You are the best goaltender in our system, or you basically are going to be the starter for a very long time. You know that type of thing. And it's just like sure. there's no reason to rush it. We saw how well it worked out for UC Saros to take his time. Why not do the same thing? On the other hand, though, I think I I think I know a team that I think Nashville, if they did it might be a pretty good option is hit up the Ottawa Senators. Mm. The Ottawa Senators are a team they're you know still in the bottom quarter of the league, but they're a young team that like they've added a lot of stuff. They've got good players and prospects that picks of you know you could you could float a guy I mean what they've got Eunice <laughs> Corpusalo, like Kevin Mandelisi, like who? You know, like it's they 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 could use that type of thing, and they're a team that's more positioned to be good in the next what two to three years, I imagine. And then if you can go back there and be like, okay, but also, you know, like let's let's hear about you know, <laughs> let's get that since we're getting the older guys, let's go get Claude Giroux, you know, or you know Josh Norris, Tim Stutzel. Like, I mean, there's there's like what there's probably five or six players that I would love to just just be like, yeah, those guys could be Preds because you know those type of you know, imagine like. See if you can get Shane Pinto on a discount. You know, it's <laughs> you could probably pry away Thomas Shabbat at the right price. I don't know that I want to do that, not for eight million dollars until 2028. But uh I mean maybe not, but that's probably I mean, your him or Jacob Chikrin. It's probably I mean, one of those two that are being moved. Yeah, Chikrin, we hear about him a lot too. Um like Jake Sanderson, like those types of guys, but they're also, you know, there's a chance and just be like, look, you want UC Saros? Your first round pick's not lottery protected. Like we're taking your lottery pick if you want Saros. That's when I would. That's when I would do it. If guys, if someone like that, or heaven forbid, Anaheim, they want to, they get rid of Gibson, and then they're like, we want to build and build behind Saros. Like, yeah, give me, give me that first round. Don't protect it for the lottery. I want it right now. And then we can start talking about you know, getting one of those. Finally, maybe getting a top ten forward this time. Which again, I wanted one so badly last time, but. We got Askarov and I had to eat, you know, I had to eat my words on that. So still would have liked Alexander Holtz too. So <clears throat> Seth Jarvis. So uh, what do we think ultimately happens here? Do we think they are buyers based on what we know that they did this off season? Do we think they don't really do anything and it's not really definitive one way or the other? Or do we think they do sell more and that maybe it's not Soros, but there is an, somebody else they potentially move that we're not on thinking about right now that just kind of, it's a deal too good to pass up and that they are realistic still about what this team can be and about what their ultimate goal is during this retool slash rebuild. A Tommy Novak. I think that's probably, that's kind of where I was thinking, not necessarily him, but like him, um, you know, looking at, Carrier, uh, Fabro. Like, yeah, Trent. Who of those three do you yeah. think is most likely and has the best value? Who would bring the best return? Probably Novak. Fabro. Mm. Okay, why for Fabro and why for Novak? 
I'd like to see Novak, you know, like I don't, he's on like what he's on a $800,000 deal. I mean, he's, he's 26, which I always forget until I like see him. And then I'm like, Oh, you're, you know, older compared to the rest of these guys. But I mean, he's, you know, he's been fantastic, but I don't know that that's, he's that guy. That's a team that's going to be like, you know, what is a team going to offer for, for Tommy Novak, like a third? Probably. I mean, I don't think anybody's getting, I don't think the Preds are getting more for Fabra than that. I think they're giving up a, you think they're giving up a second or a first round pick for Dante Fabro? As much as I love Dante Fabro, maybe not. Maybe not like a first or a second, but just like something better than just like a third round pick. I mean, because one, he's two and a half million. His contract is right. They if they trade for him, trade him at the deadline, he's still arbitration eligible and a restricted free agent. Like that's a lot of control for a, a team, especially somebody like buffalo or somebody like that who could really use a guy which he's played top pair minutes but he's played a lot of you know he's played up and down that lineup and he comes with a pedigree you know so there's also that you know they're gonna be like oh Poyle thought the world of this guy and we remember hearing about like it's that's gonna that's gonna inflate his his value i think you know like nashville could have done something similar with tyson barry had they just kind of played him a little bit more this season i think now everybody knows that like we're not we're not giving Nashville anything for him. They should need to be asking us. Uh, Tyson Berry was one of those where we were like, yeah, he's coming in. He's got this reputation for being a power play guy. You know, and sometimes it doesn't work out, but you could sell on, based on that. Um, Luke Evangelista, I think, maybe could get you. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do that, but that's a guy that you could do. Um, See, that's where I think you're going backwards. Like, I don't think you hmm. get... I don't... I think that that... But the thing is, is there's all these guys are free agents at the end of this year. They're going to be making these decisions anyways, and and so who are all, all free agents? Um, so there is, let's see, of there are only two that are in the NHL right now. There's only two that are restricted, which okay. is Tomasino. Evangelista isn't a free agent. You know, see, no, he's the only one of them who's not. But like Fabro is the other one, and then you have Trenin, Gurianov, Novak, McCarran, Sherwood, Barry, Carrier, Lankinen, and then if you look at the AHL level. There's Parson, Afanasiev, those are restricted. Mark Jankowski's unrestricted. He could probably be a good for like AHL pieces or something. I mean, there's Roland McEwen, Jordan Gross, which I think they should, I should they should definitely get in Nashville soon. Mark Delgaizo, Spencer Statsny. Like these are all guys, like they're gonna have to make decisions on some of these guys. And yeah, you may not want to trade away a guy like Tommy Novak or trade away, you know, a role player like Kiefer Sherwood. You know, not all these guys are going to be back, and you're not going to want all of those guys back. So it's not necessarily that you want to get rid of those players. It's just that, like, you know, Philip Tomasino would probably get some pretty good, you know, offers elsewhere. And I think play- teams would want to put him in and slot him in a little bit higher. Um, and, you know, he's restricted, but give him that option, you know, like, the, he may, like, you can try to resign this guy or get him, but he may just walk on his own. So, you know, you kind of have to weigh that. Like, they're not going to do anything with Gustav Nyquist or, you know, Colton Sissons. Cody Glass, I don't think anybody's going to take him after the, how the season's been going so far. Uh, you're not, you know, just re-sign Cole Smith. McDonough, Yossi aren't going anywhere. Luke Shen, <laughs> Jeremy Lazan, like, those guys have multi-year deals. And so you, you start to look at it, and it's like, you know, I guess the only other calls you could take is if someone wants to uh, unload the dump truck to get Ryan O'Reilly or Philip Forsberg, but you know, you don't want to do that either. So you can't even take move Philip Forsberg. Well, there you go. Um, 
Andrew Burnett, though, to this point, how would uh, how would you grade Andrew Burnett, Jeff? Uh, I'd probably give him like a B or a B plus. Um, it's hard because like he doesn't have. I would say maybe I guess maybe I'd probably go B plus A minus actually, just because I think the system that we're seeing is is. First of all, one that we're we haven't seen really ever before mm. for this team. Um, in terms of yeah, no, it's 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 when they when they hired him, I did that, Brian. I, I just I just thank thank the Lord above or whatever deity you worship. Uh, I I just I yeah, think Andrew that, Burnett, that's who we're talking about. Andrew, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think that one, it's not a it's not a system that we've seen before, and and like Brian alluded to earlier, it's just a lot of like pucks on net, pucks on net, pucks on net, get to the front, attack the slot, attack the slot, attack the slot, attack the slot, crossing passes, crossing, like just like emphasizing these things that were not emphasized before. Whereas in, you know, it, in, in other systems, it was, it was a lot of uh, work from your defensive zone, dump and chase, use your legs type of stuff. Like it was, it was boring hockey straight up boring yeah. hockey. And right now what we're seeing is not boring hockey. They might lose games because I think defensively they have some major problems. Um, yeah. In terms of just, uh, I think that just, would come with time, honestly. Yeah, I think so too. But I, I also think that, you know, the, the, the Panthers team that, that brunette coach was not a defensively stout team. It was just a team that could outscore everybody. It was a, Jonathan Huberdo, Alexander Barkov, Carter Verhage run team where Carter Verhage scored 40 something goals and Huberdo had 108 points and Barkov played out of his mind in two in, in all three zones. That's all Barkov does. Yeah, exactly. Like like that's a, that's a player that the Preds just don't have. Like Ryan O'Reilly used to be that, but he's not he's not but that. He's not Barkov level anymore. It's a fair risk to take because I mean, put, you know, get UC Saros's performance from last season and like apply it to this year. Where are the Preds right now if Saros is playing like he was last year? I mean, like, there's yeah. probably another seven, eight wins out there. You know, like, it's it could be the difference. And then we could be talking about them sitting in third place in the Central. And, you know, with that big gap, at, you know, the, the style of offense, you know, it does allow for more risk-taking. But also at the same time, like, it's it moves back and forth. It relies on guys having, you know, just being constantly aware of space. Um, the way that they utilize in chase, you know, this is something that I just want you to watch for one game is like, watch the way they maneuver and the way they run their offense from behind the net and how much hmm. more effective it is um, than it is passing it back and forth at the blue line. Like everybody's moving. Uh, the last like five years of Nashville predators power plays, like you would just watch them and they just kind of sit and float in a single spot. And then mm-hmm. just pass, and that's it. They don't. They they move. They constantly are creating. It's it's you know it's what you see basketball teams do all the time. Yeah. They run a set play. You know you think you would do something like that when you have a man advantage, and they just weren't doing it. And so, but it's also going to lead to you know they're going to take chances to be aggressive, and it's going to lead to things going the other way. And that's fine. This is the year for to iron out the kinks, uh, to work out the kinks in UC Soros, to you know put some confidence for the in the players in the system. You know, like last few losses, you hear these players saying like. We felt like we played this game really well. We just couldn't get bounces or, you know, we just had one breakdown and that was kind of the thing. Like 
they know that they're putting in the effort. They know that the way that they're doing this has shown them already, even early this season, that they can have that success. And that's the way that you want to kind of build that team is you want to say like the process, you master the process, like the wins will come, like the skill mm. level will come, all those things will come. But, you know, nobody's going to ever accuse Nashville of going on a, on a PDO bender because they've got outstanding goaltending and like way higher than average shooting. Like, they're going to earn a lot of these wins. I mean, really, they've earned, you know, there's not, they, they've, they haven't stolen as many games, you know, as they have in past years where like they were obviously outplayed, but then UC Soros stood on his head. Like, there's not a ton of those this season, really. And that's a good thing, especially if you're a Nashville fan, is like, what good is it to have the, one of the best goaltenders in the NHL if like he's just getting pummeled and getting one, one goal of goal support? You know, like I'd rather I'd rather this have let him work this out now. Uh, so it's not I, I'm not worried. And as far as brunette too, like you said, like just you know, like my like my man uh, Billy Bob and Varsity Blues, just ten, just ten, because you know I think people are getting get a little bit too upset with the lineup stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that moving these guys up and down the lineup at this point in the season and this season of all, I don't think it matters that much. I think um, people get upset about a lot that they don't understand. Let's just go with that. And I, yes, and I will also say <laughs> that like I think some of the anger around the handling of a certain Philip Tomasino might be a little bit much. I'm on I'm on that boat. Maybe not as as much as some, but I I'm certainly on that boat. Like, I I understand the decisions that he's making, but I will also say that some of them have been very confusing. But I mean, look, we just talked about this. Like all those players are free agents, and so this season is not just about like we want to get this awesome third line combination. Like they know how Novak, Evangelista, Sherwood, those guys are going to play together. They know what that's like. You know, you know what you're getting out of that, but you want to sit there and shuffle them around because like basically these guys are auditioning to stay with the organization you know you got to see can these guys adapt can these guys work i mean you talk about a guy like tommy novak whatever line mates he has he's he's still kind of producing you know with the exception of that slump you know evangelista is the same way you know mccarran has been strangely clutch lately like you know you've got guys who can perform maybe not at like a great level but they a consistent level no matter where you put them in lineup and I don't think that they've lost that much confidence in Tomasino because, you know, here's the thing. Yusuf Parson, they sent him down. You know, he was struggling a little bit. I don't think he was struggling quite as much as what we, you know, what we've seen from Tomasino off and on this year, but they sent him down in Milwaukee. Bill Tomasino's waiver exempt as well on his ELC. They could have sent him down at any point this season and they never have. So I, I think that it's with him, you look at it as like, it's a learning experience. Like he's work. I think they're really working on his, his game and the mental aspect of it. Because when you're a guy who's as good as he was in, in, you know, in junior hockey and, you know, you know, briefly in, in the AHL, like it's gotta be hard to get in here and be like a, a top, you know, top round pick and kind of struggle a little bit your first couple of years. It's, it's hard. And so I think the fact that Brunette has kept him in Nashville, um, even though he may be getting benched or moving up and down the lineup, like, I think that's that's almost a sign of a little bit more faith in in what he has, and you know that they're really you know can he take this and can he handle t- you know being benched for games in a season that, let's face it, is probably not going to be a Stanley Cup season, and you know if he can sit there and 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 get through this and then give him that time to learn and to grow and do all these things with the game of hockey, I think you know 
Palmasino's got so much upside that you you give him that chance. And I think that the you know this pure pure fact that he's still in Nashville and Parson and who you know has been incredible is to, you know is in the AHL. I think that kind of tells you you know what's best for these guys. And I think that you know Palmasino's out, Fabro's out. It's fine. It's whatever. You know, it's. I don't think this team makes the playoffs still. Like I I do think that they are good enough to make a run, but. You know, there's just a lot going on. You have no idea. We have no clue what this team will look like after the deadline. What do we think the president want to What's do? What's that? What do they want to do? Do you think they want, ultimately, do we think they want to make the playoffs? Do we think they would prefer not to? Are they? Do you think they're kind of surprised internally that this team is where they're at based on what they did this offseason? I don't know if they're surprised, but I can guarantee you that they very, very much want the playoffs because the revenue mm. goes bananas at that point and you know it's nashville so it's a destination you know but i mean yeah they do want Mm. that i mean i think that like for them the difference between picking 12th and the different and and then picking what 19th like Mm. the value in 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 the nhl i mean it's unlike any other sport where it's like you get your top three guys and those guys can jump to the nhl and have varying levels of success the rest of these guys you're not going to see them for two three four years yeah. Um, and so like the value between like dropping from a 12 to like an 18 or 12 to a 25, like, you know, it's like the NFL, like trade back, stock up picks, trade back some more. Like it's, it works for people. And Nashville has been excellent in the draft the last, what, three or four years, especially with forwards, which is something that was really not their forte. Um, you know, Parson was a late, a later round pick, you know, all these guys, you know, trust them and, and, you know, so it's okay. Like I think that you know, making the playoffs and being the 18th pick or barely missing and being pick number 13, yeah, there might be a guy there that like you know you wouldn't be able to get that lower, but it's not going to be a huge drop off. You're not going to be missing out on the next you know generational prospect because you picked you know you picked eighth and, and or 12th and not eighth. Like that's that's not going to happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, making the playoffs has got to be the goal because yeah, you want that. You want to sell those extra tickets. You want to have that revenue. You want to say that you're a playoff team. Um, but I mean, like based on the performance right now, like they're not going to be. I don't think they'll be a lottery pick, and I really don't think they will. But they're also not going to be. You know, they're going to be stuck in that ten, like twelve to like twenty-two range, and that's that's fine. Nashville's done pretty well with it. Scouting's been really really good. I think they've just been reading a lot of Eric's stuff. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, make the playoffs. Why not? You want to win team feels better. They feel like they've made some growth. They beat expectations. That's definitely, I think what they want. Is it going to happen? We'll see. (laughs) We shall see. But speaking of the young guys and who might be the stars of tomorrow, Milwaukee Admirals playing very good hockey, as we alluded Mm -hmm. to here, both on the program and before we got started here, um, Brian, this is your bread and butter. Uh, goaltenders involved here that are on an incredible run. Uh, they're winning streak for the All-Star break. Um, two Admirals in the top 10 in AHL in points. Uh, what do you have for us on the Admirals at this point yeah. here? So Carl Taylor, man, just he's out there just just putting in the work. And, um, you know, this is this the team- best NHL AHL coach duo in in hockey right now? It's too early to say that, I think, with with Brunette, just because, you know. But I mean, but if you I, look at Brunette as a B plus, A minus, and then you look at Carl Taylor, is he a solid A AHL guy? Yeah, I mean, I I could say that, um, oh, God, who is Hershey's head coach? 
Um, I think that like them in Boston, I think that duo is probably pretty because I mean, Hershey, they're, they're defending champions. They're, you know, they're very, very good. I'd say mm. that uh, or like, you know, Providence, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of really good. I mean, the Texas, you know, their team and things like that. They've got really good, good, good guys in there. But I mean, I don't know. Carl Taylor can make a very, very solid case once again for AHL coach of the year. Um, they have been on an absolute tear. So if you look, this team has won, I believe now 12 in a row. Yeah. 12 in a row, 12, Oh, Oh, and Oh, um, they have surged to the top of the central division. So they were pretty much tied up. I'd say about a month and a half ago with Texas and, uh, Rockford, which Texas is a very, very talented team. The top two scorers in the AHL are, uh, you know, Texas Stars players, including my boy Maverick Bork, who again they need to get him in Dallas very soon. Mm. Um, like Logan Stankoven too is they've got some really good guys down there. Uh, but you know now Milwaukee sitting in first in the Central Division with 59 points and just 40 games played. The uh, Grand Rapids and Texas are tied for second. They are 14 points behind uh, mm. Milwaukee off this run. I mean they they went on a run of 24 straight points and. It's incredible because it's the way they've done it. I mean, you talked about the the the, the stats. You know, um, two players in the top ten in AHL scoring and points. Um, Mark Jankowski's third. Igor Afanasyev is sitting at eighth. Uh, Afanasyev is fifth in the AHL in goals, like fifth. He's got tw- he's got a twenty goal season already in forty games, like half a goal a game, and he leads the entire league in shorthanded goals. He has five this season, which I think they're getting close to the franchise record for that too. I mean, five shorthanded goals in, in a 40 game season is insane. Like that's, it's literally that, that is an insane type of like to be able for them to be able to do that. Um, and then you look at, you know, guys like Spencer Stastny, you know, he's been fantastic. I think, um, you know, Dusa Parson is starting to kind of find his stride. Joachim Kamel, dangerous so dangerous that shot is it's so beautiful to watch like he's got his growing pains but man that that man can shoot the shoot the puck and just laser it in there i mean there's talent up and down i mean they're getting good seasons out of cal o'reilly cody hodgson is still like suiting up and playing like that cody hodgson cody hodgson let me tell you what eight years ago no seven years ago he was one of like the coaches in my daughter's like learn to skate learn to he play coached me. he coached me for high school for yeah like three years just, yeah i mean fedor svechkov killing it um you know zach uh zach larue like he's have he's he's fun he's gonna be he's gonna be a handful but man he's he's fun and he's a really good player mark delgaizo um you know again i love jordan gross troy grossnick and, and then askaroff of course these guys troy grossnick you know, uh, Askarov made the All-Star game, but Troy Grosnick just set the franchise uh, Milwaukee all-time record for the most consecutive um, wins in his starts, 10 straight. And I think Askarov's at nine straight, which is, you know, also incredible. But just that tandem of, you know, these guys not losing, you know, just not losing at all, 19 games. I think the only thing that broke that up is I think Askarov got chased in two games there in the middle of kind of his run. And... um Grosnick had to come in and finish those out but I mean these guys are playing incredible hockey and if you watch them like they're so they're poised like they I've seen them like Rockford for example last few seasons like those are games there's going to be at least one two fights they're going to be lots of hits it's going to get sloppy and they just kind of 
waited out Rockford this last game. They just they're like, y'all get frustrated, let y'all get tired out, and then we're just gonna pick you apart. And that's exactly what they did. And it was surgical. I mean, they're just a fantastic and this is, you know, with guys, you know, Nashville really hasn't pulled a bunch of guys up yet. You know, they've, you know, again, we talk about Yusuf Parson, they sent him down, but like this this roster is kind of how it's been most of the year. And it might be rough for them if Nashville calls up some guys to come up there, but they've got talent. They've got depth. Um, you know, they are basically, they're a third in the AHL overall with points. Um, just the six points, I believe behind um, Hershey and Providence, but those, those two teams have played uh, six more games than Milwaukee. They played 46 to Milwaukee's 40. So, you know, they're going to catch up. I really mm-hmm. do think they'll catch up. Um, but, you know, this is this is that year. I mean, they. I thought that last year they had a team that was capable of, of getting to the, stand, uh, the Cully Cup Finals, you know, only for them to get knocked out by Coachella Valley, which is a really cool organization. Um, check them out on socials. They're really great. Um, they are Seattle's affiliate. Um, but, you know, I don't see a team, in, at least in the, in the West, like I don't, or, you know, I don't see a team that's going to really, really ch- look to challenge Milwaukee. You know, I think that the other two teams... Providence and Hershey, they'll knock each other out in their division in the East. But, you know, like those are the competition, I think. And if if the Admirals can, you know, not maybe win 12 straight, but if they can win nine of, you know, go nine and three in each 12 game stretch, like this could be one of the best, if not the best, like Milwaukee Admirals teams that, you know, their organization has ever seen. And uh, that's a real credit to the work in the pipeline being done, the drafting. I mean, this is something that we haven't seen in a long time. I mean, the, you think about the great forwards in the last like what 10 15 years that have gone through uh milwaukee you know a lot of those guys are guys that nashville got after the fact like forsberg you know guys like that or kevin fiala where it just didn't quite work out like now i think they've got such a great system got a great coach carl taylor is about to get paid next season um but you know like this is it pour everything into it in fact like i bet you the deadline you're gonna see probably I would say no less than four AHL trades. Hmm. Just, just for like shoring up certain spots, just being ready for when, you know, if AHL players get called up after the deadline for, you know, three or four guys go, go out there, like they're going to need some depth. And I think that's what they do. I think they address a couple of things, but you know, I, I just don't see a huge splash, but you know, you can have that confidence because you know that you're getting top tier coaching, top tier development with your AHL affiliate and they're what 2000, 3000 miles away. It's mm. pretty good. They've got a very strong relationship. Awesome people up there in Milwaukee. Um, it there's really like, again, if you've ever been on the fence, if you enjoy watching the playoffs, AHL TV is not that expensive. It is a thousand percent easier to watch those games than on any NHL affiliated thing. Um, they're so much fun to watch. I mean, it's, it's great. And you get to watch these guys and, and really see how they're developing and you can do it from home, sitting on your phone, that type of stuff. It's it's a lot. It's really fun hockey, and um, I highly encourage everybody to get at it. And again, get in early, get on the bandwagon early, so you can you can make fun of everybody else when they jump on the playoffs. But we're all, as somebody once said, uh, some some troll in the Admirals mentions, they said nobody cares about the Admirals except for the Nashville media, and I was like. Yeah, but we just we like it too. It's fine. We're allowed to like you know just criticizing, but I'd say that's great. You know that we have you know what there's yeah. five of us continuously talking about the admirals and like I'm not gonna lie, there's not a huge demand for it. You know, 
all the time, especially down in the middle of the season. So, so who do you think is going to ultimately for Preds fans uh, tuning in here? Who do you think of the Admirals is going to play be the next big time player for the the Nashville team? And do they get called up in the second half of this season? Hmm. I'd say for this season. Hmm. Um. I think the guy that would make come in that would actually be able to make an like a real impact. I mean, I don't want to say Yusuf Parson in because, like, but I think he'd probably be the most impactful. But like, I, I'm not sure about Afanasyev's game in the NHL yet so far. It'd probably be Askarov. But I mean, like, these mm. are all guys. Like, don't be surprised if you see Mark Delgado, Spencer Stastny, like those guys. Like, those guys are going to be like third, fourth, fifth defense pairs. Like, pretty soon, I think. Um, you know. Fedor Svechkov, so good. Joachim Kamel, like, Joachim Kamel actually might be maybe the perfect, like, last 20 game of the season call-up. Like, getting him in there, trying to steal some games by just letting him just rocket them from all over the ice. I think that would be, you know, that kind of guy. But there's exciting players. I mean, this is, you enjoy watching Novak and Evangelista and Sherwood now. Like, they were just as fun and if not more dangerous in the AHL together. And so like you get to see these things, you get to see they've got all personalities like Igor and, and, and Askarov, like they do everything together. Like, you know, I think they call each other up like uh, Grand Theft Auto, you know, brother, you want to go bowling? Like they just go up and of course they're like dressed head to toe and like Gucci stuff and go get like super expensive. I like it when players have personalities and these are kids, you know, you got to remember these are college kids, like, and they're handling things way better than I did at their age. So let them have fun before the NHL sucks all the fun out of them. Although, I don't think the NHL is going to be able to tamper down Askarov. I mean, at one point during the All-Star thing, they had a breakaway challenge where I believe it was what, like the two players, like one would start from midway and he'd come in like a breakaway one-on-one against Askarov. And then they, you know, they'd make that save and then he had to skate all the way back with the puck and then the second player would come and do it again. So in the first one, like Askarov, he, like it's maybe what, his third or fourth something like that but like the first guy came out and Askarov just said yeah screw it skated out about 30 feet and poke checked it out well you know he did that lost his glove and his stick but he still had to get back to get ready for the next guy so he fully think stands back in front of net puts his bare hand behind his back and still makes the save it's like it's just those things where it's like don't please don't do things like that very often but he can back it up and he's fun to watch you know like when he has a stinker of a game you're like it doesn't matter it's fine like next game he'll be back to bench pressing the goal like it's 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 fine no problem so i mean get in early on these guys because you can really you know start to tell like when they come to nashville you know you're going to know more about their game you're going to know what they can bring to the table and uh it's never been easier for people in nashville tennessee to be able to sit there and watch every single milwaukee admirals games i live in nashville tennessee and can't watch every single nashville predators game so i'd say that's a, a pretty nice situation there I love it. Um, Jeff, what can the good folks check out from you all across the internet this week? Uh, let's see. What do I got? More flame stuff as usual. Um, lots of trade deadline talk. Um, Lindholm's gone. Kuzmenko's good. Chris uh, Tanev, Noah Hannafin might both be gone soon. Jacob Markstrom might be gone soon. Not sure about that. Which um, flames player? Which flames player do you think would be best for Nashville if they had to do it? Hmm. Uh, like that's going to be traded, or you know, probably it's going to be traded. Um, 
probably Chris Tanev. That's the one I was thinking too. It's not yeah. bad, but that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like Chris Tanev a lot. He's really good. Um, and then uh, this weekend, some college hockey. Miami Redhawks against uh, the St. Cloud State University Huskies, number 16 ranked in the nation. That's a mouthful, um, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, last weekend, Miami took number two, North Dakota, to overtime on Friday night. Uh, they were up four to two, and then blew the four to two lead. Um, and then Friday, and then Saturday lost four to one. But the the score, there was a much closer game than the score would indicate. Which their 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 efforts have been good. So, doing some broadcasting about that, and doing some writing about that as well. Jeff, you're doing uh, an excellent job on the broadcast. I was listening oh, to thank you. someone come in there and they're like, who is that? Why are you listening to college hockey? And I said, that is my son. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing an excellent job. I, don't know, I would not be able to do it. You're doing a great job for it being your first time. Thank Check you. Out. And then like also heckle him on Twitter while he's doing it too. Yeah, that's exactly. right. Yeah. yeah. We um, all know it to Jeff to mess with him. because Exactly. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Red Hawk Radio, YouTube. Uh, go check that out. Puck Drop is at... 7.05 Eastern time um, per usual. Um, so if you want to go check out that, you can. Um, and then probably some more college hockey stuff over at the Hockey News and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I love it. Brian, what about you and the great team over there at onthefourcheck.com this week? From now on, we have to do Jeff's second. So when I say my like one or two things, <laughs> so pathetic. No, um, actually, I've got a couple things in the works um one of them may or may not be milwaukee focused um which would be I, i've never written anything this maybe extensive i'm not that, i'm not going to say much more about it because it's still kind of in the process of being done but for milwaukee and then a um something else for not on the forecheck um but that's again it's in process um we'll see i'm excited about it i hope it works out i think it's going to be really good um but we'll see so we'll you know that and then of course we got the Preds. We got the Admirals. It's the stretch run. This is the time trade deadline. I probably will be. My phone will die halfway through the day just from sheer notifications. Um, I didn't expect them to go hog wild last season, and look what happened. So you never know. I feel like this is going to be quiet. My gut tells me this is quiet, and they just ride out and see what they finish. And if they make the playoffs, cool. If not, cool. They just. I think it's a quiet one. That's my gut. I don't. I don't think it's nearly what it was last year. No, but we have a month. We have a month. We'll figure it out. Brian Baston, Jeff Middleton, always a pleasure. And I will talk to y'all next week. See ya. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.